Challenges remaining live from Charleston. Courtney, how's your southern accent doing? I think my southern accent's pretty good, actually. Oh, yeah? It's, it's one of the accents that I can do, like, if I don't think about it, I think I actually have a bit of a southern drawl. Okay. Like, when I, if I just, at times. I okay. don't know where that comes from. But, um, yeah, I can fake it. I say y'all all the time. Are you from, are you from the South Bay Area? No, I'm not. I'm no. not. But one of my friends when I was growing up, um, her family was from, like, deep Texas. Okay. So when I'd go over and, like... Her mom would like kind of babysit ish, like I think I just picked it up. It's one of those things like when you when someone's doing it at you, you kind of do it back to them. You do totally, and it's that can be a little bit uncomfortable for yeah everyone involved potentially, but they don't seem to mind. No, I mean I, it's easier. I don't know. I mean of all the accents in America, it's the easiest one for me to not mimic, but kind of adopt a little bit. Yeah. As opposed, like, I can't do a Boston accent. I can do barely a Chicago accent. I don't do New York. So, yeah. So, I like it. I mean, I love the South, and Charleston's lovely. Charleston is quite nice. Yeah. Been very nice here. Um, It's a very walkable city. It's a very old, sort of looking, colonial, you know, southern, old place. Mm -hmm. Sort of small town. Yeah. Hard to navigate. Very hard to navigate. It's, like, weird. I just constantly feel like I'm about to get lost. I'm, like, one turn away from being in a place I do not want to be, or the wrong island, or yeah. what bridge is this, like that sort of thing. But yeah, it's great. And what's nice about it, at least that I've always really loved about Charleston, is kind of how progressive it is. It's a college town, and you know, it, it doesn't. So it's I don't know. It's all kind of the nice things about the South, uh-huh. minus all of the, most of the bad things. yeah most of the bad things that that generally at times can make me uncomfortable when I travel through the deep South. Cool, so cool. yeah. On this show, we talk about the week that was in Miami and the finals and the flipping away from the finals by CBS. And then we talk about our week so far in Charleston. It's been a busy one. And we wrap it up by playing you an interview we did Monday in Charleston with Jesse Pagula, who got her first ever WTA win. That should be good. Eh, Courtney? Eh. Eh. Well, before the tour, women's tour came up to Charleston, everyone was down in Miami. So we should recap what happened at the Sony Open Tennis. Mm. Odd name for an event. Courtney, what did you take away from happenings on Key Biscayne this year in general? For, what will you remember about this year's Key Biscayne tournament? What will I remember? I mean, I think the status quo. Okay. I think, you know, Maria was, I think it's underrated a lot of times when we look at Maria just because of the way that she lost um, uh, the final to Serena and losing the last 10 games um, yeah. this year. But in the last two years, she made, as much as all the players and all the players talk about how difficult it is to do the Miami-Indian Wells double, how difficult that transition is. She made the final of both for two years For in a two row. straight years. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's huge. incredible. That's huge. Um, and obviously she can kind of do that given the fact that Serena doesn't play Indian Wells, um, but hey, what I mean, we're going to really knock her for it. I mean, it's still like an, a really difficult thing to do. Nobody else did it. Nobody else did it, but she, you know, she was streaking into the final. You know, eleven straight matches, twenty-two straight sets, twenty-three yeah. until she lost the second to Serena. So that's on the WTA side. And then for the men, as much as like, thank goodness for you, Tommy Haas, for you, Richard Gasquet, like 
you guys had amazing tournaments. And Especially really, Tommy House, I think. Yeah, just really breathed life, I think, into a, a very staid ATP tournament. But in the end... Big four guy won. Big four guy won. And, and now he's a big two guy, and we're moving up to number two. I remember this as sort of a, just an off year for the tournament. Oh, and I think sure. I think we were saying this really seemed, last couple years, but this year in particular, really seemed like fifth slam debate. It used to be Miami, unequivocally. And then for a while it was Indy Wells or Miami. And now I don't think Miami's in the conversation so much anymore. Just because of how down the fields were. Attendance was way down this year in Miami. It was down by like almost 10%. And that happens when you don't have Federer and Nadal. Andy Lou's like a top American draw like Andy Roddick. It's just, and I guess Azarenka, I don't think she's ever been much of an attendance draw. But still it's a name. Yeah. And, and in yeah. terms of relevance. Yeah, in terms of just gravitas of the event. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we can safely say that the rivalry on the women's side right now that is kind of the most compelling is the the, the Serena Azarenka rivalry. And so yeah. once Bika withdrew, you know, a obviously that was gone, and and you lost a bit of interest there because if the draw were to wake break out the way that you expected it to, it was going to be Serena versus Maria, and as well as Maria did play in that final, you kind of know that Serena's the better player. Right. And it's just a matter of her executing. In addition, Vika's late withdrawal after the draw was done led to a pretty imbalanced draw, really. Yelena Yankovic in the semis. Yeah, and Yelena's the one that made it through that that bracket. And, you know, whereas at that quarter, that Vika-less quarter, Yelena was the one that made it through. And meanwhile, you know, Serena was playing Lee Na in the quarters. One versus five, yeah. That, that shouldn't be, you know. And, and if, if Vika had withdrawn earlier and, and, and the seeds had been able to be kind of reshuffled and, and gone up a spot, you know, you had more of a chance that that, that wasn't going to happen. More draw evenness. Yeah. yeah. And yet that's what you want. Because otherwise, the beginning of the tournament's a bit, bit boring. It can be. If you have, I mean, there was a quarterfinal between Vinci and Yankovic, was, which was a mess. Mm-hmm. And probably not something you want being on the same level of the field as Serena Lina. Yeah. So that's what it was. Let's talk about the men's side a little bit more on the final and everything that happened in the final because there was a bunch of sort of storylines there none of which were especially positive the match was seen as generally pretty ugly and people players were complaining about the conditions Andy Roddick was talking about how you can't have good tennis or clean winter full tennis when conditions are that slow uh, both those guys play it. big defense obviously and the the winner unforced ratios were rough Bunch of, 95 unforced to 37 winners total between yeah, the two. Yeah, group between the two. <laughs> the issue of CBS cutting away from the coverage of the tennis at 6-all in the third set to bring Elite A basketball game March Madness between Florida and Michigan, which Michigan won, go blue. But <laughs> Not biased at all. Not biased. Well, of course I am. I went to Michigan. I yeah, so what do we make of how that whole final, what it says about the current state of tennis? And should it be overblown or sold down? Yeah, I mean, I think the result in and of its, I mean, it felt a little mean to write it, but it was true when I wrote at us on SI that, you know, David, David Ferrer did what he does, which is he makes the best out of a draw. He doesn't play a top four guy, uh, I mean, a big four guy uh, until the final, and then he gets to the final, he fights valiantly, and he loses to a big four guy. Yeah. And this is what he does. It's kind of, you know, it's, I think it drops his record against the big four in finals to 0-12. There's a stat that ESPN showed during the week that he has only won one title when two or more of the big four entered in the tournament. That would have been Paris, right? Yeah, and they both lost really early. Yeah. And he's only won one title when just one of them has entered. And he's won 18 titles when none of them are entered. So he kind of, he kind of, you know, cleans up the scraps the others leave behind in terms of his career. And he does it very efficiently. Yeah. But he doesn't 
out and take food off the big guy's plates. Right. right. Um, he came close. So he had a match point. He had a match point, but, you know, I mean, I think that it's going to be a match point that he will rue, you know, stopping to to, issue, to get the Hawkeye challenge and all that. But the ball that he sent back was, could Andy Murray have missed it? It was kind of a sitter forehand that Murray was in the process of running around to hit a clean winner and, and Ferrer was out of position. Yeah, I mean, I say, I mean, given just Andy Murray being Andy Murray, I'd say 20% chance, 15, 20% chance uh-huh. that, that he misses it. But for the most part, that was a, going to be a put away. So Murray was going to save that match point anyway, if you go by the odds. What can you do? But in terms of the, the general state of play of tennis, yeah, I mean, I think that you and I are both in favor of, of you know, different court speeds, yeah. particularly on the hard courts, that there, there should be room for their, for lightning quick surfaces um, to kind of force the player to to adapt and to prove that that they can play on on different surfaces there should be a court somewhere in the world that favors john isner as much as you don't like his surf his style of player people don't like watching him the game the deck should not be stacked against guys like that who play power tennis even guys like federer mm-hmm. who benefit from you know being first right tennis burdich other guys del potro uh, people who really like the ball to their balls to move right. and to be rewarded for aggression and right now, the state of play, especially in Miami, which didn't al- wasn't always a slow tournament, mm-hmm. really did not reward aggression whatsoever. Right, right. And and I think that, you know, obviously we see that in in the final. We've seen it in the past yeah. uh, when Novak and, and Rafa have played in, the, played in the final a couple of years ago. And it was a long, was it a two-setter actually that year or three? Three-set Miami. Three-set Miami. That was, you know, quite grueling and, and another kind of instance of a classic Novak-Rafa battle where it's just, it's brutal. And I guess there is obviously, there's obviously drama and interest in those sorts of matches. But when that's all that you're seeing every single week, every single match, You've Masters, seen the same people. And that's the same yeah. people over and over again. It does build rivalries. But there's something to be said that Djokovic and Nadal both would not have necessarily been able to have the results they've had in their career if it wasn't for the homogenization of the surfaces if the conditions weren't so similar everywhere. Right. Because, it, you know, it, when you talk about what is quote-unquote good for the game, which is always a analysis that isn't... It's it, messy. Yeah, it's messy and it's it's who's to say and all these sorts of things. I mean, maybe the homogenization of surfaces did create these rivalries among the top. It created a, a domination uh, of four specific players who were able to raise the profile of the game because they were coming up against each other all the time and because they were playing this bludgeoning... Style, well, three of them play this bludgeoning style of tennis, and yeah. and then you had Roger in the mix there, where he doesn't necessarily play that level of tennis. So you had like some contrast to the extent that they could get. Right. You now know, without Rod, with Roger slipping now, and he is right. slipping now. Yeah, that's the contrast is no longer there. Right. And Djokovic, if you put Ferrer substitute Ferrer for Federer, which is not really, which is how the race rankings are working. Yeah, Federer's had a rough start in 2013. He's number eight in the race right now. So if you take if you sort of sort that out, you have Ferrer. Djokovic, Murray, and Nadal, who all play these baseline, grinding, wear-you-down styles. And it's sort of more, uh, you know, war than tennis. And yeah. it's, uh, it's different. It's not necessarily tennis that our, our parents knew, you know. Right, but I mean, it's, and it's not, I mean, personally, I'll say, I don't think that it's bad tennis. I think that sometimes this kind of bludgeoning, brutal, war-like, you know, style of tennis gets a bit of a bad name because... We see it so much. It's all we're getting now. It's all we're getting. So I understand that critique. But I mean, I, you know, I liked it. I mean, as much as I think I was really, I did rip on the Murray for for Ferrer final as being, you know, obviously subpar. And they admitted as well that they weren't able to play their best, whether it was conditions or just bad day at the office or nerves from being, you know, no longer true underdogs in the way that both of those players are used to being in a final. 
you know, in the end, it was com- it was compelling tennis. By the end of the you know the last few games of the third set, you really didn't know which way it was going to yeah, go. It was and a late it became, third set in a big final, it, so it's yeah, going to be became, compelling no matter what. Right, it wasn't about the tennis level. anymore. Sure. If those guys are like falling down, I don't care. And it, and it's not necessarily it's not unlike um, the match that kind of came to mind was the Kvitova Robson uh, Australian Open match that right. was absolute shit. Yeah. Quality wise, mm-hmm. but by the third set, like when it went past six six and went deep, it was like this is like totally you, you riveting get, you stuff. Get, you get invested in things that, regardless in quality, right. yeah, yeah, you really do. And tennis, I, that's what I said in one of my bios. I think even on the New York Times site when I first started there, they had these little author bios on the straight sets blog, and I said like it said like Ben Rothenberg enjoys watching really good tennis and really bad tennis, yeah. and like sometimes in between, but really the extremes are pretty awesome. Yeah, pretty much. Let's talk about what happened coverage-wise with CBS at the end of that match. Like we said before, the Elite Eight game started between Florida and Michigan, and CBS pushed back the start of that game by three minutes, but announced that it was not going to show a third set tiebreak if it happened. There was a long game at 6-5, and eventually Murray held, and CBS went to basketball Mm -hmm. with the third set tiebreak coming up in a final of the second biggest tournament in America. Moving to Tennis Channel. Moving to Tennis Channel, which, let's be honest, very few people have. Right. And everyone has CBS. And right. so tennis is on this grand national stage on CBS and then sort of gets kicked off. What should the takeaway be for that for tennis and tennis fans and the tennis establishment? I feel bad saying this. Go it, for it. On some level, I'm kind of not really bothered by it. Simply because, I mean, and maybe it's the pragmatist in me yeah. that's just like, you know, have you seen the checks that, that CBS gets for, for March Madness rights? And just in the States, a lot of the complaints, obviously there were a lot of Americans who were pissed off. And yes, I get that. But a lot of the, the complaints that, you know, seeing, or I was hearing and seeing generally were kind of more international. And I don't know if there's like maybe a disconnect as to like not understanding how big March Madness March is. Huge. It is huge, huge in the States, like huge. huge. It was for an elite eight game between like two major yeah. programs in Michigan and Florida. And so I kind of understood it. And, and no one really expected that this match was going to go whatever two and a half hours and then to really eat into that time. So, you know, so that was tough. And it was just almost a perfect storm of, of just a bad situation yeah. and a tough situation for CBS. I think that on their part, I think it was good that they announced it early enough that people could scramble. So either you could sit there and you can bitch and moan about what was about to happen, or you could like scramble to see if you had Tennis Channel or fire up a stream. But I, the one thing that I really think CBS really dropped the ball on is why wouldn't they live stream that match in the same way that they've done the U.S. Open Finals, which is that they live stream the match on CBS.com yeah. along with airing it live because that would have actually saved a lot of problems you know because it would be there and and it would be at full access to a lot of, to everyone to the extent they had That's internet good, access yeah. as opposed to if you didn't have C, if you if CBS cut away and you didn't have tennis channel and you've never p- pulled up a illegal stream before because the only way you were going to access it was illegally because it wasn't airing on tennis TV either yeah like you were screwed and now you've spent two and a half hours invested in a match and you don't get to watch how it turns out like that i think was really it's that just, was that's a frustrating it's just about the hierarchy of sports in america and people as much as tennis fans are dedicated and tennis fans are awesome tennis is pretty far down the ladder when it comes to quantity of fans compared to something like college basketball in america it's happened to hockey too hockey was went on nbc 
where the game was going to overtime in the playoffs once, and I think the Kentucky Derby was coming up, mm. and it got kicked over to Versus, which at that time very few people had, and there was some anger there too. I mean, it's just, it's you know, there's a pecking order. Same thing, I've seen NHL games preempt like the Tour de California cycling or something, yeah. and cycling fans getting outrageous, which was fun for hockey, because hockey doesn't usually get to be the bigger guy. And, yeah. it's, just, it's just part of what it is. It's, and I think people have to understand that tennis is very tough to program for, because the length can be so variable. If David Ferrer goes out there and puts on a show like he did in the Acapulco final and wins one game and that matches over an hour, CBS suddenly has an hour and a half left to fill of blank space. And that's hard. So I think people, I think this is a problem with tennis sort of as a thing that you can put on a big network, a crowded network schedule on a Sunday. They might have to figure out some way to, to speed it up. And that's the thinking with the time between points or whatever. Okay, you know... Djokovic and all that are complaints about this. I understand you want to catch your breath so they can be more spectacular tennis or whatever. But if you want to make money from these ad dollars the sport is getting, it needs to be a more televisable product that you're putting out there. It's not just about you know necessarily the integrity of the sport. It's also about making the sport viable and profitable. Right, and then you see those sorts of changes that have you know come to you know, NBA basketball to, you know, NFL Hockey football. Hockey has done a lot to where, you know, you, because at the end of the day, what you're trying to, this is a business and you're trying to get money and add dollars. And which is also why quite a few of the more business savvy players, I think Roger Federer included, I think Roddick has also said this as well, have been really okay with the, haven't balked, I guess is better, is a better term that yeah. I would use to the notion of best of three in slams. Yeah. Because, like, not because they're, like, lazy or, they, you know, they, but they don't really fall on this this crutch of tradition. Yeah. You know, like, oh, purity of sport. Well, you know what sucks about basketball? Like, I mean, it sucks when you go to a, a live NBA game are TV timeouts. Mm-hmm. There are TV timeouts all the time. They're just taken, like, whenever, like, Especially TV, near the end of the game. Yeah. It's constant. You know, whenever TV wants to take a timeout so that they can run some ads, like, all of a sudden the refs come in, they stop play. And, all, you know, like, there's a stoppage of play, and so you, the, the networks can break away. It breaks up the flow. It's not pure in any way, but, you know, it's cre- it's helped create, like, a, a bigger sport. That's why there are stars there. And, yeah. and I think the people who said, if CBS can't show the whole thing, they should just show the whole thing on Tennis Channel. And that's a terrible answer to this question. Because, C- because, like we've talked about with streams and stuff, Tennis needs to put itself in these mainstream locations. On a CBS, on an NBC on ESPN to a lesser extent, where you get an all-sports audience, you, to grow the sport, you have to show yourself to non-tennis fans and put yourself out there in order to keep getting more more new fans. I mean, being on Tennis Channel, you're not going to gain fans. You're going right. to keep fans, mm-hmm. maybe, but you're not going to grow the game on Tennis Channel. Right. So right. that's the trade-off, and it's unfortunate it worked out that way, but say la vie. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it was, it was a t- I mean, we're talking about a, a problem that kind of came up because of like a fifteen minute issue, yeah. uh, the match rant like was surprisingly long, and, and CBS it was a did 15... push it back by three minutes. Yeah, CBS did as much as it could, but I don't know. I mean, there there wasn't much more that it could do. So it's tough, and we saw it happen with the U.S. Open men's final. What was it like three years ago? The Monday final that ran into like Monday Night Football or something. It was like the first night of like football. I can't remember what it was that, that it ran into. The final got moved, or the trophy ceremony got moved off CBS to like ESPN two. Well, yeah, I got kicked on three different. Like channels, channels. Yeah, like right. you know, it was like CBS to ESPN two to ESPN Classic. That That's was right. when Rafa won, um, I think, and it was like run on ESPN Classic, the trophy ceremony. So it's tough, it's hard, but you know, to the extent that tennis wants to grow, and you got to put yourself in these situations. Yeah, you, you do, do, and you, and you have to be willing to adopt certain measures that yeah, maybe you don't love it, 
but it's better for the game, uh, better for the health of the game, uh, particularly in the States, because maybe if there was a quicker court and maybe there was more unpredictableness and maybe if it was like a style of tennis that Americans were more used to seeing, that the exposure on CBS would have been would have actually led to people like being like, oh, this is yeah. fun. What is this? I like this. Yeah. As and opposed quicker court to... also would speed up the match. Yeah. Get you in your time slot. Yeah. So we are in Charleston. We're recording this Tuesday morning. This is our second day in Charleston. A uh, full, full day in Charleston anyway. We got here both Sunday. Our second day at the tournament. Uh, yesterday the tournament was a pretty eventful day. We were reflecting on saying a lot, a lot of stuff happened. A lot of stuff. A whole happened. lot of stuff. So, Courtney, why don't you walk us through how the day sort of began yeah us. i mean it was it was kind of a jam-packed day and, and one that like it wasn't until it was all over that i was kind of was able to process i suppose but it was you know so on monday we had we got to site we had all access hour which was held at the daniel island like i want to say like tennis club or something some sort of club, club but club. it was beautiful i mean we rolled up and there was like a croquet lawn which is very exciting for me because i'm a huge croquet person oh, i think croquet is the best uh, croquet's awesome it's, it's 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 a game it is a game i play, i founded the michigan croquet club at, at when i went to the university of michigan and it was pretty cool and we also had a version in the winter because it's like winter nine months of the year in michigan where it's called snow k and it was just fun it's a fun sport fun for all ages yeah yeah so uh but it was really really nice and obviously and so we spent um the afternoon you know, talking to six of the top eight, I believe, or yeah. something like that. And the top six. Top six or so. And I think on the whole, the all-access hour was, was good. But there are those moments where, you know, I think that, that well, I don't know about for Ben, but for me, like, uh, the last few years of kind of my writing career with respect to tennis has kind of, it's a lack of a lot different now than it was two years ago. And yeah. so, you know, there are definitely those moments where you're kind of sitting there and you're like, I'm at this tennis, this gorgeous tennis club with this great view, talking to like a legendary number one player in the world and, you know, and then in Serena and just kind of cracking the jo- cracking jokes and shooting shit. And, you know, it was fun. I mean, it, yeah. was, it was a good time. I don't know if I, I really walked away with much to report. You know, because I think... It wasn't the, an eventful. It wasn't eventful. Right. I mean, I think... I know for myself, like, I use all-access hours almost scouting for myself. Mm-hmm. Especially when I haven't seen the players, like, the week before or a few weeks before. Here people's heads are at. Yeah, like, where where are you right now? Are you in a good mood? Or are you in a bad mood? Because I need to know for the rest of the week. You yeah. know, as, as we do, like, kind of the more press conference-type um, interviews. Like, Lucy Safarova... Not feeling too up on her game, right? Yeah, like, you know, and that was pretty apparent. She's a defending finalist here. You know, Sloan took a little time to kind of warm up, which I kind of figured was going to happen. I think I thought Caroline was quite flat. A little bit. As flat as I've kind of seen her in a, a while. In a, in a Venus was pretty chipper. Venus was chipper, and Serena was kind of up and down. So, you know, and Sam was Sam. Sam Stable, was Sam. funny, joked about eating next to Sofia Vergara at Fig, a restaurant, an amazing restaurant in Charleston. Yes. <laughs> we went to Fig last night. We did. We capped off our day awesome. going to Fig. It was amazing. But, yeah, so then we did that. Came back to site. I participated in a little hit and giggle. For a little, little. A little hit and giggle alongside Venus Williams. Yes. Uh, so, so that was that was kind of the highlight of my day, So let's obviously. talk about that. Sure. Talk about how you wound up on the court with Venus Williams, what you were expecting going into it, your, you know, your prep for it, and then 
what it actually felt like. Tell us the whole story. We, we tweeted about this yesterday, and people were like, I need confused. to hear people, people were not confused. They were excited, and they want to hear more about it on the next episode. It's pretty much the reaction. Fair enough. Got. Okay, well, then I'll give you the details. Yeah, I, I was just contacted real, like relatively out of the blue after I had confirmed that I was coming to Charleston to cover it. I was asked to participate in an exhibition put on um, in conjunction with Eleven, Venus's fashion line, mm-hmm. and with the tournament. I mean, it was going to be a little exhibition out on the secondary court um, here at... Althea Gibson. Yeah, it's called Althea Gibson Court. Yeah, it was it was for Venus's Eleven line that was so... the t- It was played in... It was one set played in like a world team tennis format. So there were two teams. So I was thankfully... Uh, actually, I mean, it would have been fine either way, but I was drawn onto Venus's team. And then the other pro uh, was Arena Rodianova. Um, who's Washington also... Castle's teammate of Venus and an 11 wearer. Exactly. And then, so it was me. And then the other media member that was there was Danielle Dotsonrod of Tennis Channel. And then there were four women who were members of that Daniel Island tennis club. So that was, those were kind of the teams and they split us up. And we, yeah, we played a set. It was nerve wracking. I mean, I think that that was one of the funniest things about it was just, you know, I was running around all day. Ben saw me like just really stressed out about writing deadlines and really didn't have time. I didn't warm up. At no. all. I, we were planning to warm up. It didn't happen. Yeah, like I, you know, took my backpack about 20 minutes before the match was supposed to start and ran into like the restroom, like the public restroom on site and changed my clothes and then like grabbed a racket and ran out on court. So, and, um, and I'm not a particularly good tennis player. I don't play it. I write about it and I watch it and I'm yeah, You just haven't it. played that much tennis in Yeah, I just life. don't, I just haven't. So, you know, but people were kind of ribbing me all day and I was just like, you know what, I'm just out there to have a good time and stuff. And, so it was great. And, um, so what was Venus like? Tell us what Venus was like being a doubles partner of Venus Williams. It was, she was just such a good coach. I mean, I think that that was one of the things that really stood out to me because as I was thinking about it, thinking about being in her situation, I'm kind of like, oh, like she would just, you know, it's for her fashion line and she doesn't really care. Like why should she, we're all kind of strangers to her. I mean, as much as like the person I guess on court who would be less of a stranger would be me simply because I see her more often. Met her. Yeah, I've met her and you know, we've talked and stuff like that. But she was just really taking kind of care of her teammates. And uh, like for me, all of the tips that she gave me on court like will live with me forever. You know, she kept telling me to commit after every single time I would just chunk a forehand into the net, <laughs> like sh- just embarrassingly so. She's like, she'd just kind of look at me and clap and be like, come on, you gotta commit. Like, and it wasn't a patronizing way. It was in a like, Come on, teammate! Like, commit! Like, stop it! Like, you know, like, and not, I am not you know. losing to a Rodian <laughs> exactly. another teammate. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I was having problems problems with the serve, and she was helping with that, and you so that the, was you got the occasional serve in. She was literally like, we would be standing in the back of the court, like, you know, kind of mimicking, like we were doing like double strategy, and Venus would like glare across the the net and like literally turn back to me and just be like, tap it in. Just tap it in. <laughs> like I was like, got it, and then, you know, and so so that was really fun, and just to kind of see her in that uh, in that um, uh, context was really neat. And I was just, I mean, honestly, I was just trying to like watching you out there was pretty cool. I okay, you tell me that. Watching you out there like, was fun, obviously, because I know you very well, and I know <laughs> Venus from a distance for a long time and up close for a shorter amount of time, and just seeing. Seeing Courtney was playing on the forehand side of the court. Yes. She does not like her backhand, Courtney. No. And there was one point where she was standing roughly on the singles line of the court. And the ball passed her on her right side like into the doubles alley. And Courtney couldn't get it. And Venus comes sprinting across from the other side of the court to hit the ball to Courtney's other side for a winner. And Courtney had no idea what was happening. She was I, like, had, I only knew that something... I thought the point was over because I missed it. And I just... But the crowd... One thing I will say is that like... 
holy cow, like you can hear the crowd. Yeah. Like you can hear everything. Like you can hear somebody talking or screaming at you and midpoint, like those moments where like crowds kind of get like ooh and ah or like something short and they're like, come on, come on, come on. Like you hear they all of that. really freak you out. Like you're just <laughs> like, shut up. Like, you know, and so like it gave me a little bit of insight into that. Yeah. So does it give you more respect for players in general if they go through on court? Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, like I think it's an experience that, I mean, obviously I could say this, but like, you know, everybody should have the experience <laughs> to be on court with a pro, um, which sounds like a totally ridiculous thing to say. It but, is a ridiculous thing. But it does. And, and the other thing that I will say that was really enlightening was when you're in that situation and all these people are looking at you, like the cotton mouth, like don't underestimate that. But also when you're serving, like, let's all stop ripping on Anna Ivanovich because it is really hard to toss that ball. <laughs> you actually made a joke about that, didn't you? I did. Like, I kept just tossing the ball Your over toss my head. Your toss was a little all over. Yeah. It, it, was, was, really, it was really short. It was really short. And it was all over the place. Because um, I don't really, I don't never played matches. Yeah. Right? So I've never really don't under, served. Don't, 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 don't underestimate corny experience with tennis. I right. Guess, basically. Like, exactly. Like, I don't, I, I mean, when I play tennis, I just go up to the court and I just like hitting a ball. Yeah. You know, like, there's no kind of match play involved. Sure. But the ball was flying everywhere. And so I made some crack, like, to Venus. I was like, it's just, it's downright Ivanovichian. And <laughs> Venus turned back and started laughing. And so, like, that was kind of my whole goal was just to, like. You made jokes. I made jokes. That was my thing. Like, Venus, you're good at tennis. I'm Courtney, and I'm good at making jokes. This is how our doubles partnership was going to be. So you go be good at tennis, and I'll make you laugh between between points. And mission accomplished. I mission bet. accomplished. I think. I mean, most of the the pictures. I think I have a stupid grin, and between points, we're both laughing. You know, bent over laughing. So it was really, really fun. And, and Venus was very gracious um, before, during, and after the match. So. Yeah, hopefully the only thing is I hope that things aren't going to be awkward in the press room now that she knows that like I cr- I'm crap at tennis. I don't think she'll but care. We'll see. We'll I don't see. think she'll care. We'll see. The other thing that happened yesterday that was preceded you on Althea Gibson court was the longest WTA match of the year, which we weren't really paying attention to until late between uh, Rena's sister Anastasia Rodinova and Bethany Maddox Sands. And the match wound up being about three hours, 42 minutes, even though it included a long break in the third set. It was the longest match of the year. And what was really interesting, I think, about this match, for our perspective, is how much all the other players were into it. Althea Gibson Court is set up next to the clubhouse, which is sort of the players' lounge at this tournament. There are a couple of like, outdoor balconies, as there are everywhere in Charleston. There are a couple of balconies on this house. Mm-hmm. And, Courtney, what was what was going on up on the balcony during the drama? And what was the drama for those who may not have heard about this match? Yeah, so the, the, the match went deep into a third set. Anastasia Rodionova was being Anastasia Rodionova um, up until that point. She was arguing with line umpires, with the chair umpire, fans, with fans. And so, yeah, she was just kind of doing all that. And the match went into a third set. With uh, Bethany serving at 3-4 in the third, Rodionova went wide, lunging for a ball, and apparently did the splits. and Like an unintentional split. Unintentional kind of splits on the clay. And um, seemed to have, or at least demonstrably seemed to have injured herself. Went immediately to the chair, and at this point she was down game point. In, in on Bethany's, at Bethany, at, at Bethany, but she stopped the game. She went. She hobbled to her chair and was in pain. At least looked in pain. And trainer came out, off court medical timeout, and then things just kind of became uber dramatic from there. Was it gamesmanship? Was she injured? I think that she probably tweaked something. Maybe. Yeah. Was, was in, she... it, it can be both. Is the thing you can be both injured and displaying gamesmanship. Right. When you are playing pretty well during points. 
honestly. She was playing okay. She wasn't, like, running like the wind, but she was hitting the ball well, moving okay, and then just, like, slowing to a crawl with her walking between points. And everything was very, very... Exaggerated. Exaggerated. You know, and, and so that, you know, and it was really, you know, the umpire wasn't necessarily giving any time warnings. I mean, she no, was taking she a she really minute between, between points and just using her racket as a cane. I mean, it was just, like, a lot of, like, stuff like that. It was a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, but anyway, so uh, I had I had noticed, obviously, I had seen a little bit of chat on Twitter that things were being crazy, but status quo with Rodianova, I just really wasn't paying attention. I had other stuff to do. But then noticed that the board, the scoreboard had frozen for about a good 20 minutes, and I was like, oh, I got to get out there. So I immediately grabbed my stuff and, like, ran out there and had caught Ben as he was coming in, and I was like, you got to come with me to Althea Gibson. Yeah. And we went and saw, and as we stood there, as the match continued, up on the balcony were Andrea Petkovic, her coach, Peter Popovich. Jamie Hampton. Jamie Hampton. Grace Min. Grace Min. Madison Keys. Madison Keys. A couple other... Vanya King. Vanya King. I think Vicky Duvall. Vicky Min. Duvall. Vicky Duvall, sidebar. Awesome! How? What was Vicky Duvall like during All Access Hour? She Vicky, Duvall, Vicky Duvall was there shadowing All Access Hour. Just like doing what they call like rookie hour, once where they take one new player and sort of have them look and see what it's like to do all the press stuff the big players do. Taylor Townsend did it at Indian Wells. Vicky Duvall was doing it here, and but the the way the round tables were staggered, there were some big gaps in between them. They weren't necessarily very flowing in terms of the management of it, and so there was like a fifteen minute gap between some of them. But Vicky Duvall was there, so we were like, "Vicky, go sit down, Vicky," and Vicky like you know kind of do like a mock interview, do like a mock interview, and she was. She was spectacular. She was awesome. She was sassy. She's very sassy. And she's got there's a personality. There's a lot of snapping going on. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of snapping, and she was giving Ben some shit about SpongeBob. And... I asked her who her favorite SpongeBob character was, and because I, I know that she has Instagram photos of SpongeBob looking excited when she gets her draw comes out or something. She has to play Lavashkova, which smart reaction, good draw <laughs> these days. Yeah, and and I and at her first she character. was yeah. You asked her like what her favorite SpongeBob character, and she was like, "How do you know she was that like, I like?" Oh my god. Yeah, and then yeah. she was like, "Hey," kind of like looking at Ben, like, "Hey," and then all of a sudden Ben was like, "Oh, because I'm Patrick," and she's like, "Oh," like I'm not talking to you, like, and so she's just kind of that precocious. Her you know, favorite is Gary the Snail, who is like a really non-existing character. <laughs> so I don't think she's one to judge my Patrick, right. but anyway. But yeah, so but anyways, the, the the balcony was packed, and everyone was clearly rooting for Bethany, and, and like demonstrably. Yeah. Like, even, like, Jamie Hampton, who's one of the least demonstrative players. Self-proclaimed boring Jamie Hampton. Boring Jamie Hampton was going nuts. It was pretty funny. They all just kind of had this look. They were all clearly ready for Bethany, Yes, too. they were all open. Like, you know, Petkovic had to, did a few fist pumps and threw her fist in the air when Bethany finally won and stuff like that, even though she tried to do it, like, in the shadows so that nobody could really see it. But, so it was, you know, it was entertaining and it was fun. So that was great. It was kind of one of those, I think Ben and I were walking back from that court just being like, God, we love the WTA. <laughs> WTA in a lot of ways. It was. And and it was great because by the time the, the match had reached that kind of climax in the third set, like, the, the court was packed out. Fans were really getting into it. And it was like, you know, it's Bethany Maddox hands against Anastasia Rodianova. But one of the things that I do love about the Family Circle Cup and what is enjoyable for me, because as one who tries to kind of treat the WTA and put it on equal footing as the ATP, like, this is, I feel like, the one stop on tour other than the year-end championships where I feel like the this is how the WTA should be treated. Yeah. Like, you know, like we were walking back to the to the media center from that match and like I was looking at one of the side courts and each one of them has an entrance. Multiple entrances. Multiple entrances. Each entrance is like dedicated. Yeah, so each entrance has a player like a former champion's name yeah. on top of it 
And so there was like Amanda Kutzer, like was on top of one of the entrances. And I'm like, well, of course, why wouldn't you have Amanda Kutzer, like gate D? Like, you know, right. like, like, duh, of, duh, you know, and, and how dare you even question like whether or not like we would do that. So it's kind of neat in that way. But yeah, so that was really fun. And then we had a couple of really great interviews with um, Taylor Townsend and, and Andre Pekovich after their matches. Yeah. And they were both great about each other. They were great you know, about the sport in general. Good talkers. Everyone just seems very relaxed here. A little bit tired, maybe not the yeah. energy that people brought to Indy Wells or Miami, but people are happy, mostly seem happy and relaxed, content, and in no rush to get anywhere. Like, you never got a sense of these people that they were like looking for the exit. We actually did an interview ourselves yesterday. At some point during all of this, we somehow found the time. Yesterday was was busy day. For a day that didn't even have a mat- night session, yeah. it was long. But we did an interview with Jesse Pagula who is just got her first WTA win yesterday over Garbine Muguruza, which was a big win for big her win. because Muguruza had just made the fourth round of Indian Wells and Miami back-to-back, including a win over Wozniacki and a couple other big wins along the way. So it was a tough, not it was a legit first career WTA win. And she had to day. fight for it. Yeah. It was a tight match that seesawed back and forth, and I feel like she won either 6-4, 7-5, or 7-6 in the third. It was very... 7-5 in the third, seven th- Yeah. And it was just, it was tough, and she was happy, obviously. And then won again Tuesday against Mona Bartle, her first top 30 win, and in pretty convincing fashion, 7-6-6-1. For those of you who don't know about Jesse Pickle, a little bio information, because I don't know how much of it we really get into in the interview, per se. She is probably most known at this point for being the daughter of the Sabres owner, Buffalo Sabres NHL, uh, Terry Pagula, his daughter, and she been playing tennis for a while now. She is coached by Michael Joyce, who is formerly, the, was a former player, a pretty good player, and most famously probably the former coach of Maria Sharapova for a long time. And so she sort of has, because of her family position, she sort of has, has resources beyond her results at this point. So it's an interesting sort of Which she's fully she's aware of. Which she's very aware of. So and she we gets talk into about that. that. And what just her thoughts on life on the tour. She's outside the, w, the USTA system right now mm-hmm. because she has these other options. And it's just sort of an interesting perspective. She's in a very unique situation on the tour. She's in a situation. I mean, I think we, uh, you bring this up um, during the interview, Ben. She's kind of, not results-wise, obviously, yet. Not but yet. she's kind of the WTA Golbis. A little bit. Um, in a way, in, in kind of like, you know, the critiques are always going to be to the extent that does she, she really wanted does she need but it? she read it does she need it does she want it she comes from a rich family and she doesn't have to play tennis and you know all that sort of stuff and and she isn't a player or a personality sorry a person who is necessarily wowed by any of this no she's around she's grown up around a multi like multi-million dollar like paid athletes yeah and um, i talked to her about this and we didn't really get into this in this interview so i'll say i wrote an article about her at india Wallace last year which you can look up mm-hmm. if you want to i think it was on the straight sets blog on the time so i don't think it was a print article and it basically just had to do with, you know, all the things that she's learned from being around NHLers and what Michael Joyce thinks she's learned from being around NHLers and what her parents, her parents even say, like, when the team is inconsistent, it makes them, like, understand that, like, you know, female tennis players are obviously not going to win all the time either. And she's given her sort of more perspective and patience that's pretty unique on the tour. And she, and I like, I've liked her game when I've seen her a lot. She plays a little bit, if you haven't seen her, because most of you probably haven't seen her, a little bit sort of like a Pashik with a little bit more offensive-mindedness, and the match yesterday against Muguruza wasn't always pretty, but she, she got the win, and that was a big hurdle for her, because she's had some big doubles results, some big challenger results, but nothing yet on the main tour level. Yep, so, so. yeah, it was, it was a good conversation. It's the first time I've ever t- uh, spoken with Pula, so, um, and, I, and I quite enjoyed it, and I appreciated her 
kind of point of view. I mean, I think that it, there was a lot of there's a lot of savvy. She's a smart kid. Yeah, she was a smart kid, and so um, she's definitely kind of a player that that down the road, uh, I know so to the extent that she can get her ranking up and she's at these tournaments, um, I will talk to you more and look forward to. Yeah. So here is Jesse Pagula. Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll talk to you next time. See you later, y'all. Thank you for joining us, Jesse Figola. Yeah, Congratulations on your win today. Thank you. First WTA main draw does win. It feel different yeah. than feel? any other win. <laughs> <laughs> it does, cause um, just cause it was such a tough match. It was like like constantly forcing myself, like, come on, you got this, you got this, like the entire time. Yeah, it's definitely nice to get that first win, like under my belt. I've lost a couple like first round main draws where I haven't really played that well, mm-hmm. so it was always kind of like a monkey on my back a little bit type thing yeah. but um I wasn't even thinking about today it was just another match so it was really good how do you feel about how your tennis is progressing uh, I'm really excited like last year I bumped up a lot and I started doing really well and the last couple months kind of around like Australia I was kind of hurt and I had like a mono strain in the fall and I was yeah. sick and it was kind of like I wasn't feeling that great. I was doing okay. Like, I qualified in a couple of places. And, but, I mean, I'm really happy that, like, the last couple of weeks, I really got myself back in shape. And uh, really, you know, just even though I wasn't playing that well, I was just like, you know, it's going to come back. I just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, have to not get frustrated. And <laughs> <laughs> I know that it'll be okay in a few weeks. And sure enough. What were you doing while you were, like, kind of knocked out and, and maybe uh, not able to hit the gym? Like, were you just kind of having a normal life and doing um, that thing? Not really. I don't know. I was hitting like a little bit, and then um, at the Memphis WTA tournament, I got um, the flu, which was terrible because it was kind of going around. I thought I wasn't going to get it, but then sure enough, like I got it, and I actually made semifinals with doubles, so that was kind of good. You know, I got something out of it, but um, I'm just kind of been hitting, resting, trying to get like my vitamins, my supplements, mm-hmm. and I, I did the one of those blood test things mm-hmm. where they test your food intolerances, so I found out I was intolerant to like to, like 10 things, like oh. wheat and dairy and like all these like basic things, so I kind of had to like clean up my diet. So you're gluten free now or like? I'm wheat free okay, and dairy free okay. and That's a, lot. a couple other like vegetables and mm-hmm. fruits, but um, so those sh- are the main things. How strict do you have to be with that? How does it suddenly um, like, change everything you do or is it I, more of a... It's definitely hard. I um, I was really strict with it like the first couple months. Now I'm kind of like not as strict, but um, I still, I mean, I don't really eat bread, like sandwiches and stuff like that. I can't right. really eat or pasta unless it's gluten-free. Right. I mean, and have you felt a difference? Yeah, I've lost a lot of weight. At first, you know, I didn't I didn't feel that much of a difference. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt weak, but I think I was sick. Right. It's like the combination of everything. My body was probably changing and stuff. But yeah. now I'm, I feel great, so. So how has it been for you, you know, trying to get up towards the top 100, playing on the Challenger Tour? It's obviously not a glamorous place a lot of times. Tell us, like, what that world is like for you. It's kind of like motivation because, like, I played those for, like, I don't know, like a couple years, and it's kind of just like, you kind of almost feel like you get in a rut if you keep playing them, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you just play the same ones every year, and... I don't know, I've been trying to use it as motivation, like, once I get to these big tournaments. I mean, it's so much nicer. Like, they do your laundry and the hotels and the food and just everything. And so, I mean, I'm still going to play the three challengers leading up to the French, the ones here Mm -hmm. uh, in the States. Yeah, probably going to play all those. So, but, um, I mean... I mean, I don't mind it if, you know, you're working for friendship right. wild card type thing. But, but when it's like your daily yeah, kind of grind, I guess. Yeah, yeah it it's kind it of nice that I'm going to Europe this summer for the first time. So oh, cool. it'll be a little bit of a change, which is going to be 
you know, good experience. Yeah, I mean, we've talked to um, a couple of other players, like Freddie Nielsen on the men's mm -hmm. side, who also kind of plays in the challenger yeah. level, and because of his uh -huh. doubles ranking, he yeah. gets into the Masters, yeah. you know, and stuff like yeah. that, so he's like kind of simultaneously playing like three levels yeah, of tennis, that's and why just the description of like the different It's hard, is, is yeah, tough. especially my doubles ranking, I got top 100, I've been top 100 doubles. I mean, I finally cracked top 100. I've always been around 100 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it's just kind of funny because Michael was just like, my coach was just like not expecting me to like jump up so high on doubles before singles. So he's like, well, I need to get your singles up because you can get into like these big tournaments mm -hmm. with doubles, but now you can't get in singles. Right. Yeah. He's like, I didn't think that's how it was going to work. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's good, but um, right. it's still, and it's like, I'm kind of at an awkward ranking spot where it's like mm -hmm. either you're close to getting in the qualities of the big ones or you can just stay and play the challengers right. and, and it's obviously a decision making process because right, there's more strategy right Europe and like wherever and then you're, you have the challengers so it's right. like we kind of have to plan a lot but hopefully I'll just get it up where it'll be easier what's, <laughs> it, what's it been like working with him obviously it's a, it's a name that a lot of people know yeah, compared to a lot of Joyce. players who are who are, who are, who are <laughs> in your sort of uh, in your ranking area don't, probably don't have as high profile coaches so no. what is that how has that helped you so far? Um, it's been great. You know, I'm really super lucky that, I mean, that he's working with me. I think, he, you know, he really likes my game and stuff like that. I think I played a lot, play a lot, and hit the ball a lot like he did and a lot like Maria did. Mm -hmm. and, and I think he just saw when I first started that he could really, you know, help me with a lot of things. So I think he likes, you know, the process of seeing someone improve too, um, which I think is, you know, fun for him as long as yeah. I keep listening to him, <laughs> of course. But I mean, he's great. I mean, he's really funny. He keeps it fun on the road, and he doesn't, I mean, nothing's really that serious. He just, you know, wants me to do what I need to do. And yeah. It's, been, it's really been great. Is it, like, is it helpful to kind of, you know, anytime a player hires a new coach or, or something mm -hmm. like that, there's kind of like that trust. Yeah. Trying to earn and yeah. gain trust, and he was a player who, or yeah. a coach that was with another player for exactly. so long. He yeah. hasn't hopped from player to player and exactly. so was it like easy for you to be like yeah. hey wow like you believe in it, it was, you want to stick with it. it was definitely easy for me um just because of Maria and everything mm -hmm. and plus he had a great career and yeah. I mean he hits the ball still like unbelievable like he could still like beat me like mm -hmm. like six one like if he wanted to if he started playing again so it's kind of it's definitely a lot easier to trust someone like that that has such a good track record right. and stuff. <laughs> because when I first started working with him, you know, we changed a lot of things and it was a lot of like ball feeding and stuff that like I kind of haven't done in a while, you know, back to almost like basic stuff and he liked my strokes and everything but he's gotten me to take the ball a lot earlier mm -hmm. and I've definitely, you know, seen tremendous improvement in my game so I know it's working. So How much does he use the experience he has like coaching at the highest levels? He was a, he coached at higher levels than he played at. Yeah. Okay, so how much does he like share stories of okay when you know I don't know if he just like well Maria was in a Grand Slam final mm -hmm. such and such this is what you have to be ready for yeah, kind he, of thing. Yeah, he definitely you know uses her as a comparison obviously because it's you know who he works with and it's kind of good to see just how even like I mean she's unbelievable you know right. so <laughs> to see how players of that um, level see that they go through the same thing as everyone else except you know, they just handle it better. So it's kind of nice to see that, you know, she still gets nervous or she gets this or that, you know, any type of thing and um, that she just, you know, is just really good at handling it. And I honestly, I didn't really like her that much before I was like a player. Yeah. But now, because um, I mean, I never was like a huge fan or anything like some people, but now, I mean, I have definitely like a ton more respect for her as a player and mentally as a fighter and just everything. Well, she seems like one of those players where I've talked to other players about uh -huh. where whether we talk about like or uh -huh. not like, that's one question, but in mm -hmm. terms of respect, like everybody's yeah. like, 
yeah. like her or not. Like, yeah, you know, she's, she's just, she gets it done. Yeah, she gets I don't know how you can't really respect her. I mean, yeah. I mean, you could say she loses to Serena or right. Rosarenka or whatever, but at the end, she has like four grand slams. Exactly. Not too made, shabby. No, I mean, I take that over anything. <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you met her at all? Is she uh, yeah, I've, I've yeah. met her a few times. Yeah. Um, Is it awkward now with the mic? Stu- no, with, no, they're cool. still good friends, yeah. yeah so yeah. it's definitely, it's not awkward or anything. I mean, right. I'll around and some of the fans and stuff like that, so it's good. Cool. Do you also, obviously, on Twitter a lot, you tweet a lot about the uh-huh. Sabres. Obviously, you come from the Sabres family. They haven't had the best season. But how, how does it, like, okay. having, like, a foot in sort of each world, you know, how does that make, you're in sort of a unique situation yeah. in, in I think WWTA. a lot of them don't realize that, like, I'm actually pretty good. Yeah. Like, because, yeah. you know, they're, like, into hockey and stuff like that. And then they're like, oh, if I tweet... Because I don't really tweet about tennis that much. Right. So then they're like, And your followers, oh. you mean, or... Yeah, my followers. Like, so a lot they of just the follow you because fans, of the... A lot of, them, a lot of them follow me because of the hockey yeah. and Sabres and stuff like that. Sabres which is cool. Yeah. yeah. And then they don't really realize that, like... They're like, oh, why aren't you tweeting about this? Why aren't you tweeting about that, about the game? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of like, you know, I got my own thing going on here. <laughs> I'm like, kind I of got a thing myself. To like, worry yeah. about. Exactly. So I think they like, they kind of forget. But it's kind of funny because, I don't know, I think they think it's really cool, I guess, because they have someone else to support, not only mm. just the team, but yeah. I feel like since I'm kind of part of the team, you know. From the Sabres yeah, family. Exactly. How much, so how much in touch nice. are you with people in the organization, be it players or other people? Players? I don't really talk to that many players. Um... I know, we all know who, they know, I mean, I know who they are, they know who I am. They always ask me how the tennis is going. I think they always, a ton of them love tennis for whatever reason. So they're always like, oh, hey, you know, how's the tennis going? So yeah. they definitely, I'm known as, you know, the tennis and, player yeah. and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They, they keep up with the tennis a lot. So That's pretty yeah, cool. It's, it's cool. Yeah. How much do you keep up with the tennis? How much, as like someone who's coming up, how much do you like follow the top of the game? Are you like a fan? Yeah, like are you a tennis fan or are you a tennis player? I really don't, I really, I've been trying to become more of a fan to Mm -hmm. kind of just like learn, almost like watch more, Mm -hmm. because I never really watched tennis like that Mm -hmm. much, like just the slams that are on TV, but I never really, you know, watched that much, and then Michael kind of got me looking at certain girls that he thinks I should play like, Mm -hmm. you know, like Alina or Maria Mm -hmm. or like a whoever, and so I've been trying to watch more, but honestly, I'm not like... I know some people are like, you know, up at three o'clock in the morning watching Federer play. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not like that. Right. I, I like watching hockey better. Mike, Mike Richards, you know, yeah. Mike Richards. He was saying that he watched like some of Federer and watched Federer. Yeah, like some of them do that. I don't know. I'm not definitely not a tennis fan. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Did you use a job more than a, a yeah? I like hobby, it. I guess it's more. Yeah, definitely a job. Well, there, I mean, on the flip side, there are people who will wake up and watch Federer no, at three, and then yeah, they like they're like, "Hey, you want to go play tennis?" I'm like, "No, nah, man, I don't yeah, play tennis. I love watching it, but I don't yeah, play it. You can have the like, flip, you know." I get like I watch it now more to like learn. I don't yeah. really, you know, watch it. I don't go to like if I'm like Miami, I don't go to Miami to like watch because right. I'm like you know want to play it, and I'm yeah. not like asking to take pictures with like people and stuff like maybe when I was little but not anymore is, do I mean, you think some of that comes with the fact that like you've been around like elite yeah, athletes your entire life like, so that sheen is kind of gone like yeah, you're like yeah it's, no it's kind of like yeah it's just it's like and plus I'm around tennis so much it's like the last thing I'm doing is going out and like, watching I'm like I don't really feel like I mean I'm gonna go play tomorrow I mean mm-hmm. what's the difference so, so you're not one of those players like who's when you're not playing a match at a tournament you're out watching other courts because there are a lot of players who do that I do a little bit like some people that I know, people that I want to win, mm-hmm. but not, I'm not really one of those people. Were you on court during the uh, the Bethany Rodianova no. match today? Okay. I looked over, I was up on the porch, and I saw that she was up 6-4-3-0, and then I don't know what happened, and the oh, okay. next thing I know, we were about to practice, and Michael's like, oh my god, Rodianova was like up 
five four or something, yeah. or serving, and like drama. was going crazy yeah. over marks, and then but like the porch. Then I, next thing I knew, they were in the third set, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, I don't. A Bethany, Bethany one Bethany. in a tie break. Third? Seven, six, and the third. Oh my. And like, all these Americans were like hanging off the porch, like yeah. watching. Because what happened was like, crazy. yeah, because Rodinova like did the split and like hurt her hamstring, and then uh-huh. called like, medical time out. And she was game point match. down, and you know, but it was just funny because I was standing there watching the end of the match, and you look up on the porch, and it's mm-hmm. just like all the, you know, yeah. Jamie Hampton and like yeah. Vonda, yeah. everybody's yeah. all Everybody. packed out. Everybody's just yeah. kind of Petkovic, and I like I think I was like practicing kind of. Yeah, probably. That time, yeah. And I was going on. Yeah, exactly. You weren't going to be watching that. But or else I probably, I mean, stuff like that, you kind of yeah. have to watch. <laughs> the <laughs> entertainment. For the human drama of exactly. it all. <laughs> so, I mean, how much, uh, what do you think of the, the drama of the tour and women's tennis? How do you, how do you think, how do you make, what do you make of this world as someone who's relatively crazy. new to it? I wish crazy. girls were more like the guys. You know, like, why can't we all just be friends and hang out and then go practice and play each other and then be fine? But, I mean, that's never going to happen because we're girls. But, <laughs> I mean, I wish it was like that. But, I mean, honestly, I haven't really had experienced anything trauma-like. I mean, they're just kind of observing? Or, like, yeah, or is it just I like mean, a tenor in the, like, yeah, you feel I'm it in the, like, the locker room? That No, I mean, you know, actually, everyone's pretty nice. I mean, I've never really, I mean, a lot of them are really nice. I've never had any problems with anybody yeah. or anything, yeah. but. I mean, I know there's probably drama there, every, like everywhere, but yeah. I haven't really like any workplace. Really. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> no. really experienced it yeah. or anything, which is nice. So, do you, who do you hang out with then, like in the locker room? Or I honestly don't. Have many I was gonna say because you kind of obviously you're on like yeah. a different, uh, not a different circuit, but like yeah, it's not it's, really as much. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I don't really have because. I'm not at the USTA, I was not at Everett, right. and so they all know each other, and like, I know all of them, and they're like, nice, and yeah. you know, I mean, we're like, hey, what's up, or whatever, but um, I really don't, I mean, unless I'm playing doubles with someone that week, that I'm like, practicing with a lot, and stuff right. like that, or like, Mallory Burdett, I've been practicing with her a lot, so I watched her play a little bit, she's really nice, yeah. she's been doing really well, too. We talked awesome. her on the podcast for a couple yeah. weeks ago. Two she's episodes awesome. ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's been doing awesome, yeah. so it's great, but um, other than, like, I really don't, I mean, Michael keeps me pretty entertained. Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that one of the things that that's sort of how Maria is too though I mean she's not like yeah, the most social player no. and do, is that something that he's talked to you about like no, there's not a need for no. that part he's never really said like that's just how, how not, you roll no that's just how I kind of am I kind of keep to myself yeah. a little bit and I have friends that like don't really play tennis and they keep me entertained <laughs> so I don't know because tennis players are kind of weird too <laughs> I think we're really weird like I mean myself including like we're just kind of like I don't know maybe it's just because it's not a team sport it's kind yeah. of a little different I think as an individual sport but it's tough because I think a lot of times a, it's so international mm-hmm. right like yeah. so different cultures and different mm-hmm. just norms and mm-hmm. like all that sort of stuff and then on top of that like a lot of like the players internationally like didn't kind of go to school like they didn't like stay, you exactly. know, and there's like a socialization a issue there. I really think so you know? because I was at a tennis academy, you know, for a while, like 12, 13, 14 or whatever, and it is like the kids are kind of weird. Yeah. Like they're just, they're just, but it's just because like they go homeschool their whole life. Exactly. They're shipped off to a country. They're foreign. It's like different cultures combined, yeah. and it's like they're just a little like socially. I mean, they, I mean, the tennis players themselves, I think, get along good, but mm-hmm. I think with like other people because right. they're so in it's like tennis 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 yeah. so I think it's hard sometimes yeah I think I mean because like you know like we kind of yeah you talk about high school or college or those yeah, experiences like so when different. I look back I'm like I'm definitely the way I am because I went to exactly. yeah, and had like, these friends and like friends whatever at UVA and mm-hmm. she's just you know she plays on like the club tennis team and she kind of opted out of like the tennis scholarship thing just because she's going 
focusing on school and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it is. It's, like, so much different. So we, like, laughed this day because we both went to the same tennis academy. And it's just, like, you know, you see all these kids that you're, like, friends with. And then the academy's not there anymore. And then she's, like, I'm in school now. Right, right. It's just so funny because it's, like, so different. Right. We're just, like, we're kind of losers. Like, <laughs> like, what were we doing at, like, 15? Like, it was cool to, like, go to the mall. Like, it was so funny. But at the same time, like, when you do that, like, those are normal experiences. Exactly. And so a lot of people don't like a lot of tennis players I've found mm-hmm. just don't have normal kind of adolescent experiences because no. they just they're no. traveling I mean if you turn pro like if you're, if you're from you know Russia and you turn pro at 14 years old yeah. and you're traveling and you're the world traveling around with your parents yeah. or whoever and you go live in some foreign country without yeah. your parents right. and you're I there mean, and it's you're hard own. it's hard not to I mean it's impossible to be right. kind of like just a normal person right, right. Yeah. you seem to keep you seem to keep a, right. do a fairly decent job of staying normal yeah. I mean I remember at New Orleans last year I was always really surprised because you'd be playing at like 10 o'clock uh-huh. and you sent a tweet at like 9.58 or something and you were like kind of like all the other players are like just sort of like you know tunnel vision like getting pumped up I don't know if that's up. like a good thing well. no but I mean but no, there's but something to set like, up a normalcy yeah you know? I try to be I mean keep I try to be normal. I don't want to, like, I mean, at the end of the day, tennis, I mean, it's your job and everything, but it is just a game. I mean, you shouldn't be, like, really hard on yourself just because you lose tennis. Right. I mean, like, whoever, I mean, if you're top 200 or 300 or whoever, whoever else is around you thinks it's, like, amazing anyways. Right. They're like, oh, my God, you know, professional tennis looks like the coolest thing, and they all go nuts. So it's, yeah. like, at the end of the day, when you think of that, it's kind of just, like, you well, a lot really of beat us, yourself up. Yeah, a lot of, I mean, so there's nobody who would say, like, who would turn down... Like, oh, I'm one of the 150 best people in, that does, yeah, in the world, that exactly. does this thing. It's, I mean, like, everyone thinks it's awesome at the end of the, I mean, even people, I mean, even if your parents get mad at you or something, in the end of the day, they're still bragging about you. Like, day <laughs> and stuff. I mean, Quite true. it's just how it goes, but so you can't take it too seriously. Yeah. How do you balance that, obviously, because that part, that part of it seems to always come pretty easy, mm-hmm. the sort of not getting overly stressed, yeah. at least what we see. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, how do you balance that and still, like, sort of, I don't know, drive to improve constant thing? Um, well, it's just, I mean, you're only, I mean, I'm on the court like a couple hours a day or whatever at least, and I just try, you know, because I'm always very hardworking and just because of my dad, like he didn't come from a lot or my parents, mm-hmm. and I, you know, see what they have done now. It's just the same thing and just, you know, a tennis aspect and, um, you know, when you're good at something, you know, you just, you know, you can improve and it's really like a belief, you know, that's mm-hmm. what today I was really you know excited about because I mean this girl will just be like walking yeah. last week she's been really hot she'd be two top 20 yeah seeds, and I, I know it's her first clay court tournament but still I mean she's been playing really well and so lose the first set top seven six and or come out kind of slow and then like you know just realize you know like I can beat this girl mm-hmm. you know just like I don't know why you know just right. can beat her it's kind of just a belief thing but um I mean I don't know it's always the hard work part has always come kind of easy to me it's yeah. more the belief thing, you know. I was going to say, is that the thing on, that you have to work on? I'm, you know, working on that, you know, you belong here and stuff like right. that. Right. Which is hard, you know, yeah. but I'm getting better at it. Like, what do you, what do you love, like, what, why tennis? Like, what do you like about it? <laughs> I kind of wonder sometimes <laughs> why. Like, it's so hard. I don't know yeah. if people realize how hard it is, like. People it's, do not. They don't. I really don't. Like, I played, I mean, I played, like, soccer and, like, baseball when I was, like, 12 or something. Right. But still, tennis, I just think, is so much harder. I mean, every sport is really hard, but I, you know, I like the individual aspect of it, even though I love team sports. Like, I love them, and I think I, like, thrive with team sports. But I think it's fun kind of doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. And, um... Like, the challenge you know, of yeah, it? Yeah, the challenge. And plus, I was good at it, and, 
you know, it was just something that I just got used to doing. And, you know, it's really, I mean, it's fun. I mean, yeah. you see how many people play tennis now? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy. You see these women's leagues mm-hmm. from, like, 9 to 11. They, I mean, they're, like, fighting over, like, line calls and stuff. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's really true. People love it. Like, yeah. And I don't really know why, but I guess it's just because I think the individual aspect, I think, you know, keeps yeah. me going. It's, like, the fight from yourself. It's, like, at the same time, you have all the pressure on yourself, but, you know, you still, you realize, like, well, if it's, it's up to me. I don't have a right. teammate. Right. Like not working hard or messing up or sure. anything. With much so, risk comes much yeah. reward. Like exactly. if you put you put yourself on the mm-hmm. line. So if you fail, it hurts. Yeah. Because again, nobody it else. Sucks, and but, but when you win, like, like that was you. It was like all you. And you're just kind of like yeah. No one to blame. No one to take the credit. Yeah. 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 You talk about your parents' parents' work ethic and how that inspires you. Mm-hmm. There are people with Gulbis, who's from Latvia, who's, who's like family has a lot of mm-hmm. money also, right. and there people have uh-huh. criticized him in the past saying like oh, well, he might not be hungry enough yeah. or something. How do you sort of respond to people who might think that about you, you know, I based think, on that your background, I guess? I think it's, like, it's hard having both scenarios, whether you come from a lot or you don't come from a lot. Yeah. Everyone has, you know, it's hard both ways. I don't think you can really judge people. I mean, you shouldn't judge, you know, either ways because... It's hard, you know, for me, you know, when my parents are like, because I can, you know, I have like a trainer with me, which not a lot of people have, right. and I have Mike, who, you know, I mean, right. of course people are going to be like, oh, you know, just because you have a lot of money, you can pay him and stuff like that, but, I mean, at the same time, Mike's one of those guys for, trust me, if he didn't think I was good, he wouldn't be wasting my time, I mean, it, like, or his time right. at all, you know, so it's definitely... That's why I try to work hard every day because I know people are going to think, you know, the opposite. Exactly. So I kind of use it as almost, you know, to keep me going, to push myself. Because, I mean, it is hard, but... You're aware of time, that perception, though. That yeah, oh, yeah, there. yeah. I'm definitely aware of that because people, I mean, people say, oh, you have all this money, you can afford to do all these things. But at the same time, when you have all that, it's almost harder yeah. to, you know, push yourself. So I think it goes both ways. Right, but, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, but, like um, you have like the, the 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 whole everybody's saying like the Russians who are yeah, who like nothing, they have nothing, and they is, the know, Chinese the same which is way. Great. Like I mean, yeah, it's, and they push themselves, but, but it's hard, you know, the other way too. I mean, yeah. you don't know, and so it's really yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, any um, we do at the end of your segment, there'll be an outro song. Mm-hmm. You get to pick. What's I your, get to pick a song. Yeah, you your outro song. song. Anything you, you want. What is what is? Yeah. Oh gosh. What's the last song you listened to on your iPod? Or something you like. What What is the Jesse Pagula anthem? I don't have an anthem. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of like what songs that I've liked lately. I've it's been hard. on like a rap kick. I was on like a country Everybody's kick. Everybody's been on a, a rap yeah, kick lately. Yeah, it's weird. Um, Maybe it's the change in weather. Yeah. Or something like the sunset. I don't know, no, summer, it's, it's summertime. I think like, you know? Rapping song music, the, yeah. Like, I don't blare Bonnie Bear when it's, like, no. beautiful sunny I was outside. on, like, a country kick for, like, a really long like time. Like, new country or, like, old country? No, like, new country. Yeah. Like, what's played now. Yeah. Um... I'm trying to think the last thing. I no like pressure. the Rihanna song, the, the Pour It Up or something mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. Do you know that song? Yeah. Can I use that one? Yeah. Sure. That's the last thing I listened to before I went out. Sounds like, good. Okay. That'll work. Yeah. What's Thanks. the most embarrassing yeah. song that you have on your iPod? Mm-hmm. I asked Mallory this, and I'll tell you her answer, which was pretty good. I'll tell her after you tell me <laughs> yours. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. I don't have... I don't have an iPod. I put my music on my phone. So okay. I have different songs on my iPod on my phone. Right. I'm trying to think on my phone. I think I have, like, you know that movie Country Strong? Yeah. I have, like, the soundtrack to well that done. on mine, which is kind of very The soundtrack's interesting. I like, Ma- Ma- was, had, was, she had, like, a Disney mix. Yeah? Yeah, yeah of, Mulan. like, Disney songs. Like, really? Mulan and, like, Little Mermaid <laughs> and Aladdin. That's <laughs> I think I might have like a Hannah Montana. I don't know. Oh, that's worse. Is that bad? That's worse. I don't know if I have it, but it's definitely on my iPod. Okay. For sure. All right. Not maybe not on my phone, but 
Hannah Montana. Kid, she has some good stuff. Like, nobody's perfect. <laughs> and now you're defending it. That's, that's I don't even... I have, terrib- Milan, I have, terrib- I have terrible music taste. Like, and shitty even music I am, taste. And even really? I am judging yeah. Hannah Montana a little bit. Really? Yeah. He, like, li- he forced me to listen to, like, One like Direction, like, nonstop for, like, the longest time. I give her rides and I make... I can't, I can't stand, like, their Like, Hannah Montana's old stuff. Like, when, like, everyone is watching the show. <laughs> oh, when Everyone she, your age. Yeah. she was, like... You're several years well, younger than us. Is, yeah, well, this is when I was, that's like... Fair. Yes, that's so... so okay, yeah, that's, that's fair. That's, that's fair. That, no, that's it's true. It's on my put in context. It's put in context. But, I mean, everyone has. Everybody has a very... I will admit that on the way here, like, I was totally jamming to Celine Dion. Like, and he, it was great. And I, and I was tell, I turned him, I was, like... I unapologetically love this. Like, this isn't irony. This isn't anything. Like, I love her. I think she's phenomenal. Hey, as long as you was can, judgment. like, rock the song. I mean, you own it. Just as long as you own it. I own the Hannah Montana. Fair enough. Valerie's owning the Mulan. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty bad. I'm just going to say. For but the record. Zone, you know, yeah, exactly. What can you whatever do? Whatever works. Well, appreciate you joining us. Thank Jeff. you very much Thank for having you. us. Congrats Good luck the rest of the Thank way. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Pull it up, pull it up. This is how we follow. That's how we ball out That's how we ball out That's how we ball out That late cost a hundred bills And I still got my money